This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. This morning, I should take my mask off first. This morning, I want to uh, speak on the topic of the hospitality of God. You might have picked up on that from uh, Isaiah 55. So let's um, pray before I begin. Lord, your word goes forth from your mouth and accomplishes what you purpose and brings success for the reason why you sent it. May that be so this morning. May we be uh, touched by you, spoken and built up and recreated by you to the glory of your name and for the benefit of your people. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So I ask you the same question that I asked the children. Suppose you're invited to a fabulous party. And for some people, that may have many different twists and turns, might look quite different. Suppose you're invited to a great party. What would it be like? What would be there? Good friends and cake. Yeah. Um, I would suggest to you that this kind of prefigures, uh, in some sense, what's being held out in the Isaiah passage from, from Isaiah 55, that um, this call is going out to all the world, come for a party. And so as I sat in, in this passage the past several weeks, reading and rereading, what kept coming to my mind was childhood memories of Thanksgiving. Now for some people that's dread. Uh, I was raised in a huge family, eight children, and dinner on any given night was 15 people. Eight kids, mom and dad, grandma and my uncle who lived there, my great uncle across the road, the boy next door who married my sister, and a couple of friends. Thanksgiving was bigger. There were 45 people in this old Victorian house. It was my favorite holiday because it's kind of hard to commercialize. And everybody came home for this one, especially as we got older and new family traditions and people got married and had their own children. Thanksgiving was the one time where everyone came home to roost. And it looked like this. Somewhere about three in the afternoon, folks would start to arrive and trays full of snacks and, and cheese and crackers and shrimp cocktail and drinks and we'd watch the football game and get caught up. How's it going? Whatever happened since? And then somewhere about six o'clock, we'd go into the dinner table and there are 45 of us and we'd start. Everybody went around and said one thing they were thankful for that had happened in the past year. And dad would say the blessing. That took at least half an hour. Um, and then, then the feast would continue three turkeys with all the different stuffings and sides and salads, and we would feast. And then, after a good long while, when you almost couldn't stand anymore, cleared the table and out came the desserts. And there was no less than six, most of the time ten different options. Pies, torts, cheesecakes. And uh, if you couldn't decide, mom would say, I, I don't care, kid. Have a sliver of all of it, I don't care. And we would stay there, and then, once that had finished, out came the guitars. We'd cleared the table, and I was raised in a family like the Waltons, if you remember that 
um, that TV show. Out came the guitars, and we'd sing the old songs. And true confession, my heart swells when I hear honky-tonk country music. We'd sing and sing until about 8 o'clock, and then it would start to break up, and some would go into the living room and play cards, and some would go watch The Wizard of Oz, which was on for decades every Thanksgiving, and some would slip out onto the porch in the back and tell stories and laugh, and some would stay in the dining room and continue to play. And then at midnight, we'd are all back to the table, and the turkeys come back out, and this time it's cold, and fresh homemade bread and turkey with cranberry relish, and we'd eat and go to bed full. Thanksgiving. Not very commercial, lots of love and laughter and fun around the table. And the next morning, we'd get up and rehearse all the silly things we watch people do and say. Because everybody stayed there on air mattresses all over the house. It was, it, it was, now that might sound horrible to you, but some people love parties, some don't. Some people think Thanksgiving is hard, some people don't. But for me, it's a, it's a foretaste of what I think is being held out in this Isaiah thing because hospitality, that welcoming um, openness, come on in here, and, and that sense of abundant provision, there was no sparing for Thanksgiving. And of course, uh, the sharing of life, how's it been? And of course, flourishing the next day when you've been to a really good party when you say to yourself, that was nice, that was good, irrespective of the type. Maybe you like a small dinner party or a, a wine and cheese party or the children's party with the bouncy castle on the front lawn or whatever it is. When the next day you reflect and say, I'm glad we did that, that's a good party because we end up in flourishing. We feel more who we are because of what we've just done. Well, that's what's going on, at least as I was reading this Isaiah passage. Um, because the, the call goes out and there's feasting and there's, there's joy and there's sharing of life and there's flourishing over and over again in this passage. If you think about it, let, let me pause and say quickly how I see the book of Isaiah working because there's different ways to break it out. For me, I see chapters 1 through 39 is God's call for judgment. He's calling all the nations to judgment. It's kind of a courtroom scene, if you will. Then you hit 40, and 40 through 54 is all about the Messiah who's going to reconcile all of that that's just happened. And the servant songs that, that pop up. The servant will establish justice. The servant will establish salvation. The servant will vindicate those who are oppressed. And the suffering servant, which happens just before this passage, will, by his stripes, bring healing and will intercede for transgressors. And then everything changes. And so where 55 through 66 go is a vision of the kingdom of God unfolding because of the work of the Messiah, because of the condemnation and the calling to account uh, of the earlier books. So it opens up this way. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy, eat wine uh, and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread or labor for that which does not satisfy? Three times, it's worth paying attention to the verbs in this because they're all command forms. Three times, come. It's like, hey, come home, come. It's done. That's what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. Come. The door is open. Come. 
come if you're thirsty. Water's a big deal in the Middle East, particularly in Israel. It's a dry land, and if you don't have water, you're going to die. So come, I'll just give it to you. And if it's not enough for that, come and eat. But then it gets more luxurious. Come, buy wine and milk. It steps it up. And then he says, delight yourselves in rich food. Come, God is throwing a party. God's not just interested in us spiritually. He's interested in our physical provision. But there's also a spiritual side here that in our thirst, in our hunger, God wants to fill us. So it's working on two levels at once. And the answer is, because of Messiah, come. Why would you waste your time on what won't satisfy? Come. I want you home. Come. The next two verbs, the next verb I want to point out is he then carries on to say, listen carefully to me. Eat what's good. Listen, incline your ear, come to me that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Come, listen. I want you to know me. I want you to hear my heart. I, I, I want to share my life with you. Come, listen. Come. He goes on, and the next two verbs that stick out are see. Having come, having listened, see. I made him a witness. First David, but the covenant of David was that David would always have an heir on the throne, and that ultimate heir is Jesus, who will reign forever, the Messiah. I have made him a witness to the people, leader and commander of the people. See, they shall call nations. You shall call nations that do not know that you do not know, and nations that you do not know shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. When they see the hospitality of God being lavished upon you, people are going to go, where is that coming from? I have a dear friend who even right now is dying, and she has said to me for 20 years, she's not a believer, if I am ever converted, it's because of what I've seen. And she says, you could fall out of an 80-story building and land on your feet. And I said, it's not me. There's somebody who's invited me to come, and he takes care of all my needs. It's not me. Come. Listen. See. And then he goes on to talk about us. This is, he's calling us forward, but there's a whole bunch of verbs that are command verbs that he says, now seek the Lord while he, while he may be found. Call upon him. To seek is to look for. To call is to appeal. And they go together. Seek and call because the only moment you can find God, the only moment to enter into this eternal party is right now. Waiting to connect with God next week after my anxiety's over is foolishness. Come now. Come home. Come. Seek the Lord while he may, wills to be found. Call upon him. And then he says, forsake and return. Let the wicked forsake his ways, the unrighteous their thoughts. So the way you're thinking and the way you're behaving, forsake that. Turn around. Return. Because repentance is about turning around and facing God rather than the ways of the world. It's about turning around to God. Forsake return. And then he goes on. This is where we really start to get to know. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher 
than the earth, so are my thoughts and my ways higher than yours. Please don't think I think about you the way you think about you. I love you. Come home. Please come. Rich fare. And this isn't just for non-believers or believers, it's everybody. The call is for the entire world, which has stood judged in the beginning of the book, come, come. My ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Don't be thinking I'm thinking about you the way you're thinking about the people around you. Don't be thinking I'm thinking about you the way you're thinking about you, or even the way you're thinking about me. My ways are higher. For as snow and rain fall from the heaven and they don't return, but they water, and what happens flourishing, so is my word that goes forth and accomplishes what I've established for it, what I've purposed for it. The word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. If we understood a Hebrew understanding of the word of God, it's the creative agent by which God's will is established on earth. He created the world by speaking. Light. Be. That's uncreated, eternal light. That's the sun emanating out of the Father. And then things start to happen. Water separate above from below and dry ground from water and let the waters teem. Let birds be in the sky. Let, let things happen. And it does because God said so. But it's not just the word verbal. It's also the word made flesh through whom all things were made. And if we put it in context, when God created everything, hospitality is at the very beginning. Here's a garden. Live. Eat anything except for the one tree. Eat anything. And it's yours. Use it. And even after the fall, God continues in his provision and blesses and continues to unfold his, his purposes. And through covenants and prophets keeps saying, I'm going to restore this. And then the word made flesh appears. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And all that was created, of all that was created, nothing was created apart from him. And the word became flesh. And he makes the ultimate hospitality to open eternal life, to say, come in, come, come. Wow. The hospitality of God is enormous, and it is forever. And then what ends up happening is, is flourishing. At the end of this chapter, you go out in joy and peace, and all of a sudden you're transformed from the inside out. Things that the world tells you you can't have, and if we ever needed a word of peace and joy, it's right now in 2020 with the backdrop of our culture and the world. We need it. Transformed from the inside, and then the whole earth is renewed where thorns are replaced by cypresses. Thorns came in, in the fall, Genesis chapter 3, and briars too, and briars replaced with myrtle. And that will be a memorial, a token, a sign unto the Lord of his everlasting covenant. He wants to renew everything. And what he's doing here, really what he's doing here, Isaiah's seeing the same thing that St. John was seeing in the Feast of the Lamb in Genesis, or excuse me, Revelation 21 and 22, where Jesus is preparing for the church and renewing everything. There'll be no more hunger, there'll be no more thirst. Death and dying will fly away, and God himself wipes every tear. Behold, I make all things new.
and we get to the end of Revelation, and what do we hear? The Spirit and the Bride say, come. God has opened to us an eternity, and it's filled with the hospitality of a welcome openness, of provision that is abundant, of sharing his life and his heart. Come, I want you to know me. Come, I want to know you. And flourishing. And the whole of creation gives him praise. Just want to say one more thing before I close, because I don't want to squeeze sacramentality into this passage and try to make the passage say what it doesn't. But if you go back to the very beginning, come to the waters. He's not talking the waters of baptism. But in baptism, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and that is living water to eternal life. If you recall Pentecost, St. Peter was preaching, and they said, what must we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Come. And then this rich food, delight yourself in rich food of wine and bread. We feed on the very presence of God in our midst, knowing that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else is added. So as you come today, whether you're coming here physically or in spiritual communion, come, listen, see, seek, call, forsake, return. And may you know the flourishing of God because that's why we were created, to spend eternity in the party of the century and if you like smaller parties, I bet he'll let you have a smaller corner. <laughs> Whatever. It's kind of what he said last week, Father Jonathan, as he wrapped up, saying, Come to me, all you who are weary. Take my yoke upon me, learn from me, because I'm gentle and humble of heart. You will find rest for your souls. I don't know about you, but in the culture and the society and the era we're in, I need to hear this again. Come. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.